You're listening to Potato Candy Network. Hello and welcome back to Blank Monster. Blank Monster is a segment here on Blank Scenario where I, your host, Marie, bring you two to three monsters from the Monster Manual that I think are underused or overused and need some new ideas and give you some suggestions on how to use them in your games and stories. We are currently working through the fifth edition Monster Manual going from A to Z and this week we are on to the letter S. We are covering two monsters this week because one of them has a lot of details that I'll be trying to get through very quickly. We're going to start with our first monster, though, the salamanders. Salamanders are interesting because they technically act like two creatures, even though they're the same. They are a medium to large elemental that lives on the Sea of Ash in the Elemental Plane of Fire. On the Material Plane, the 5th edition monster manual says you can find them playing among forest fires and around erupting volcanoes. They don't have any problem with heat, obviously. Salamanders hatch from eggs as fire snakes, which is kind of their first stage of life. And they actually melt away the obsidian eggshell when they're ready to hatch. After a year, they mature into adult salamanders, developing a bit more of a humanoid head and also two arms. The term fire snake is pretty accurate because that's basically what it looks like. They are not necessarily a free society, though, <laughs> as they are enslaved to the Efreet. E- which are the genies that live on the plate of fire. They enslaved the salamanders after the Azers, which is the dwarfs that live on that plane. A lot of creatures here. The Azers refused to be enslaved, so the Freet found someone that they could take charge of. The salamanders actually hate the Azers for this, believing that it was their fault that they were enslaved. If the Azers had been subdued, the salamanders would be free instead. And of course, the Freet used this enmity to their advantage to keep the salamanders align and keep attacking the azers. There are some free salamanders you'll find on a plane of fire. Any salamander that is found to serve another, such as the cult of elemental evil, is killed rather than enslaved. And the freet are very jealous about who they serve. They won't suffer them serve anyone else, so they would rather kill them than enslave them if that is the case. Despite being enslaved under the freet, salamander society is very similar to their masters where the strongest rule over the weakest. Salamanders get stronger and bigger as they age, so larger salamanders, therefore the older ones, tend to rule in groups as cruel nobles, and outside of the free control, they just wander the plains like nomads. Like I said before, they don't have any problem with fire, and in fact, they actually use that constantly. Salamanders can generate an intense heat from their body, so much so that their weapons heat up in combat. This is really nice, though, when it comes to smithing, because they can literally shape metal with their own hands. They can be in the fire, shaping the metal. At bare minimum, they can become enslaved to act as living furnaces and ovens to generate heat. So fire is a very basic essential in their life. As far as combat goes, these guys aren't too tough if you look at health points. The problem is they have a lot of resistances, and they do fire damage from contact. So if you're fighting them, Any contact you make with them causes you fire damage. Because of this, you need at least a mid-level party going into this. A fire snake is only challenge rating of 1. Pretty easy to fight. A salamander is challenge rating of 5. So it's a little bit tougher. So you're not just going to take on an army of these at level 1. There is a little bit different lore 
in Elder Editions. In 3.5, you see them a little bit more as a free creature. They are still enslaved, but it's not quite as ingrained in their culture as in 5th edition. And the Flame Brother is a younger of the species rather than the Fire Snake. Flame Brother within the Salamander Society is much more tribal and vicious than the average Salamander. And then you also have a third type called Nobles that rise out of both sides. That is the ones that basically just become extra powerful. Within the Society 3.5, Nobles actually travel among the Flame Brother tribes, younger groups, to try to force them to civilization. It also gives you a timeline for birth. It says that salamanders produce asexually, and each one can lay a larva every 10 years and incubate it in fire pits. So we've got a timeline for how long those eggs are going to last. It also gives you some options for player characters, which I always love in 3.5. If you want to play as a flame brother or a um, salamander, and I would argue you could probably make this work with fire snakes as well in 5th edition. Flame Brothers tend to be adepts or warriors. They tend to be a bit more vicious and not quite as focused. And then your average or noble salamanders, which is your older ones, might be cleric, sorcerers, even fighters, which is our favorite class. And then in 4th edition, we see that they actually don't mind serving, which is interesting because 5th edition lore, we see that they hate the Azers for making them enslaved, not their freed, ironically. But in 4th edition, they will actually serve more powerful masters for treasure so if you can pay them enough they'll gladly serve you and they in turn will enslave those weaker than them they have a much more feudal society with actual royalty structure set up kings queens dukes all that stuff and serfs and peasants will be filled in more by slaves and lesser elementals than by other salamanders so we get a lot of different lore for these guys through the three editions so a couple of scenario ideas for these guys, because they are a large creature, but they are an intelligent creature. So it does mean you have to consider their tactics in combat. The first scenario idea is your party has been sent to trap a salamander for a famous smith in exchange for a weapon. This is kind of a fetch quest. Um, I will say I did not go with go find an egg as it's hatching on this one. I moved away from that a little bit. But I think this would be interesting because salamanders are so tough in a fight you're not sending a low-level party. So if you have some downtime in a campaign or if you need a reason for your party to acquire a very powerful MacGuffin-type weapon that can kill the ultimate big bad, this is a nice little side quest of this smith, who is very famous, can make a lot of magical weapons. Whatever source he was powering his furnace with is dying, and he needs something not mundane. Salamander can fill that in. So your party has been sent to find, capture, and bring back a salamander for him to basically use as a living forge. So your party can use the quest to kind of gain a weapon they wouldn't otherwise have access to, especially if they are high enough level for a fight, but not high enough gold to buy something. The second option puts us mostly in the material plane with a unnatural forest fire that has begun outside the city. And I say city specifically because you need something that has a lot of ground that can burn and has a lot of area you need to protect. A little tiny village isn't going to cut it here. You need a fairly big city with a lot of stone walls. And you will have druids within that forest coming to ask for help and stopping what they describe as a giant snake man. This would be your salamander. What you want to make sure of is the salamander is not necessarily the cause of the forest fire. It is simply a reaction to something else. So the salamander is going to be sort of a distraction for something else. 
you could make it the cause of it. You absolutely could. It could have just popped in existence and everything started going on fire. But I think it'd be more interesting if this was simply a distraction and your party was dealing with something else that was actually causing this that they were led to because they were tracking down the salamander. You also can have the druids going into the combat, which would be a nice backup if you need it. Normally, I would say, you know, you might want to play around with some story elements of their land is burning so they don't have as much power, but it just depends upon how much help your party would need. The third scenario is that your party is trapped in the elemental planes of fire and they have been captured by a nefrit. Yeah, captured by a nefrit. I think it's a freety, actually. If I'm saying that wrong, I apologize. It's whatever the fire genie is. <laughs> but your party has been captured and you're being sent on a raid at another town that's made this genie lord mad. So your party has a chance to escape. However, this raid is being led by a salamander who is very, very loyal to its master, which means you have to somehow escape without it killing you, anything else in the party killing you, or having caused more damage. And you can even throw in there where the raid is going. Maybe you want to even just stop the raid entirely. So this could be an all fight. It could just be we're going to cut and run. Either way, your party has one chance to escape, and they need to make sure they don't get caught by the leader of this raid. So that is going to be the salamanders, salamanders slash fire snakes slash flame brother slash nobles. <laughs> this next monster, I'm going to have to really focus on my notes because there are seven types. This is not a news, but this creature has a lot of variants to it. Our next monster is the slotty or slot if it is singular. Now the slot are described, I'm going to say this backwards every time now. <laughs> the slotty are described as looking like basically giant toad people and pretty much that is how they look but that is very deceptive for what they actually are they are very powerful and very dangerous they were originally born in the chaos of limbo from what became known afterwards as the spawning stone this stone was created by primus who's overlord of the modrons if you remember us talking about them a few episodes back he was trying to create and tame the chaos of this plane being the leader of the plane of order, he kind of hates chaos, so he was trying to control it. Side effect of that was a massive collection of energy that ended up spawning the Slotty. Slotties popped into existence, and they hated the Modrons and destroyed them. And they continue to hate them. And you might think, well, that sounds like that might be a war. No. Primus has ignored them, and it's either because he stands by his creation for some weird reason... Because technically he was the one that caused their existence. Or he just doesn't see them as threatening. Either way, he doesn't interact with them or send Modrons after them or anything. They just kind of do their own thing separately. Um, despite this, they are a very undisciplined race. And they only obey strength. So the strongest are the ones in charge. There is a slight hierarchy of power based upon just innate power of the different slotty colors. Because their ability is determined by, by what color slotty they are. And we'll get into that in a minute because I'm going to go over some general stuff for them before I do the actual colors. So there are only two ways they can reproduce. The first is by implanting eggs into a humanoid host that will eventually hatch and eat the host. Or they can infect someone with a transformation disease caused a chaos plague. This plague will over time turn that person into a slotty. That person retains all their memories. And depending upon what magic they have, they might retain that and even be able to shapeshift back into original form. They will do this, though, in order to sow chaos on the material plane. So this is not necessarily them trying to undo something. 
One of the variants in 5th edition is actually a control gem. The idea is that Slotty that are born from these spawning stones specifically have a fragment of the stone embedded in their brain. That's the same color as what they are. Slotty can also gain this gem if they were not born from the spawning stone, but they come into contact with it, which the stone naturally attracts them, so it's very likely that they will have this. You can use magic to obtain this, whether a wish spell or some type of unknown way of achieving it without killing them. And if you do, you can control that specific slot as long as you have the gem. If that gem is destroyed, though, you don't get any other way to control it. The book doesn't say if it can gain a new gem by getting in contact with the stone. I would argue you probably don't want to test that theory, so it may not matter. And 3.5, we do have some um, player classes. They, again, kind of are hard to devote to a class based upon their just general nature. Although Gray Slotty might be interested in being sorcerers, and Very Cunning Death Slotty might be interested in being rogues. Um, fourth edition also describes them as being creatures of entropy, with a very loose hold on reality, whose thoughts are clouded with maddening images. And in fourth edition, all of the colors can spread to Chaos Plague. In 5th edition, only two of them can. The rest have their other distinct roles in their society, so to speak. Um, they don't worship any god in 4th edition, and they believe they were the first creatures in the cosmos, which, even if that's not true in 5th edition, I think is a great thing to throw in for a character trait if you're going to use them as an NPC. So we're going to get into some specific types of slots. These are coming from 5th edition, 3.5, and 4th edition. And I'm actually going to start with the 4th edition one first. So in 4th edition, one of the additional types of slot colors that we have is a black slot. If a slot of any colors, I guess, because it didn't specify, is suffused with enough energies from the abyss, it becomes a black slot. And this is going to be how most slot colors occur is a transformation process. These slots are the only ones that cannot spread the chaos plague. But they wield horrific entropy powers, which include being able to just pop around a battlefield through teleportation. These guys are the very top pinnacle. They're the smallest ones I could find as far as size goes. But they're only in 4th edition, and they are very, very powerful and unique. So they're not as common as the other types. So that is the first type of slot from 4th edition. Jumping back over to 5th edition, and these do pop up in all of them. So our first one is the red slot. This is a large creature. This one injects eggs from a gland in his claws when it's attacking. And these eggs then hatch into tadpoles after three months, being slowly to eat the host body. The hatchling will grow into a fully grown blue slot or green slot if the host body was a spellcaster of high enough level within two to 24 hours. So it's a very, very fast cycle. If the host dies before the tadpole is fully grown, then I'll just find something else to eat and leap to a new host. In 3.5, the red slot tend to be considered the weakest and often wander off alone because they're trying to get away from the crueler slotties who would rule above them. They're not great at coordination, so if you see them in a group, they're really not going to be following their own intuition. They're being led by someone else. Next, we have the blue slot, which is another large one, who is definitely a bruiser character. They have bone hooks on the backs of their hands, that if they do damage to someone, they inflict the transformations these cause the chaos plague on them. And this happens if they are wounded in any way. Any victims of this chaos plague, when they reach zero HP because of the plague, they turn into a red slot, or again, a green slot if they're a spellcaster. 
So we're starting to see basically the red and blue slots are creating each other and also green slots if they find spellcasters. Remember, these things are intelligent, so they can track down victims if they need to. So if there is a higher level slot that says, we want more green slot, find me spellcasters, they can do that. They're not highly intelligent. Um, red only has intelligence of six and blue is seven, but they have enough to be sentient and to figure out what they're doing. And 3.5, the blue slotty also don't work together well, but they do gather in groups more often than red do. Solely for a purpose of waging war on literally everyone around them, including other blue slotty. So they're much more of let's get together and beat up on stuff. Next, we have our green slot that we talked about a little bit. These are also, again, a large creature. These are going to be a bit more of your shaman spellcaster types. They are surprisingly intelligent and possess actual spellcasting, which is where the initial transformation process comes in, where if someone has a high enough spellcasting level, they retain that in the transformation. At some unpredictable point in a green slot's life, though, it will learn how to permanently and instantly transform itself into a gray slot. The 5th edition book says this can take years or even decades. In 3.5, this process actually comes from the green slot surviving 100 years and then isolating for a year to return as a gray slot. While as a green slot, though, it is very self-centered and arrogant, according to 3.5 Monster Manual. And they actually seek magical power, which is what kind of triggers that transformation into a gray. Speaking of the gray slot, gray slotty are actually a smaller creature than we talked about. They're medium size. So in most cultures of a monstrous race, the bigger the better. Ironically, with the slotty, smaller creatures are stronger. Outside of the Limbo of Chaos realm, gray slotty act as extensions for their death slotty masters, who are the ones ultimately in charge. Gray slot are just second tier. And they travel to the material plane on errands of doom. That is a direct quote from the book and is the best description for evil tasks. And I love it. Gray slot do still have magic, so they can take a humanoid form. And they wield a great sword normally that they can imbue with their own innate magic. So they are able to get magic weapons simply by having a weapon. They actually will also craft items for their own power in 3.5. So you can have a little bit more intelligence there with them. And in 5th edition, a gray slot will transform to a death slot. Again, we're just promoting him up. If he eats the entire corpse of a death slot. So if a death slot dies, a corpse is left around, a gray slot can eat it and then basically take his place. Which brings us to the top of the hierarchy, the death slotty, which is, again, medium creatures. These guys are suffused with energy from the negative planes, and they exemplify evil's corruption of chaos. So these are the worst of the worst you can get. Remember, if they're in the planes of chaos, and all of these guys are evil, these are the worst of them. They are very sadistic, take pleasure in harming others, and they are the ones who really organize expanding their race by sending out red and blue slotty to other planes on raids to capture humanoids and find incubators for the tadpoles. In 3.5, they're actually more focused on killing than magic, even though they have a lot of magical abilities. So as much as they are the top of the hierarchy, they are not necessarily the most intelligent or strategic. They just want to kill. And we do have one sneaky colors coming in in 3.5. I actually found this in my Fiendfolia book. We have the Mud Slotty. This is the actual weakest of the race, according to the book. 
and it uses more trickery to survive and spread. It does inflict the uh, chaos plague as well. The infection turns a victim into a mudslot within a week, unless it overcomes a dice roll. They will use more of, like I said, trickery in combat. They actually can feign death. They can do a sonic scream that will do damage around them. They can use ability calls cringe. <laughs> they do still have an attack option, but they don't rely on physical attacks to get into situations. And they're more likely to run away than most. That is all of the slotty colors <laughs> types. Here's a couple of quick ideas for them because there's a lot. But each one does have a very specific role within their society, even though it's very chaotic. So you have to keep in mind what color it is to know what they're going to be able to do. So the first scenario option is a party member is infected by a blue slot. So this is me, the guys with the hooks on the back of his hands that slashes at you and you have to find a cure, to keep them alive. The downside is with the chaos plague, you cannot recover hit points and you lose on average 10 hit points every 24 hours. So you really don't have much time. An interesting side note with that is a party could just kill the player or NPC because it does say by the wording of the book that you have to be killed by the chaos plague. You could kill yourself to end it sooner. So your party may have that moral decision of do we allow this to spread or do we really have time to find a cure? The second scenario involves your party being survivors of a slotty attack, and they are going to go and save a captured friend, family member, anyone who's important enough. This person needs to be a spellcaster, though, because that person has been transformed into a green slot. This slot will remember them because they do retain memories of a life before transformation, and they might try to let them go before this nature takes over again. It's weird because they have the memories, but they're still described as evil and wanting to spread and all of that stuff, right? So green slotty are going to be least likely to want to attack, I think, because they would have those memories for the most part. But those memories are going to start to get twisted, I think, is how you'd have to play it. So your party will have to decide, do we want to try to keep them here and help them, or do we have to just cut our losses again? The last scenario plays off the idea of the control gem variant. A party member's former master, so maybe a wizard who is training them or someone else, has left them a gemstone. That's the only thing they know is it controls the beast below. There's something captured in caves below that their master would use in order to get things done, find things, retrieve artifacts, all that. Turns out this is a gray slot, which is going to be a very powerful slotty to keep around. Your party can use this slot on a future quest because they do have control over it with the gem. They could leave it there. They could even try to kill it if they wanted to. But either way, they need to protect this gym because if anything happens to it, they lose control of the slot and they can't do anything to stop it. And I would say, too, I would give the gemstone either hit points in an AC so they know that it is breakable or make it to where any sudden impact could break it. Not like on their person, but if someone took it and threw it on the ground, if it was hit with something specifically, hit with a magic weapon, basically make them aware that if thing breaks at any point... That slot is free, and you may not be there to stop it if that happens. So that is going to be everything for the, the slotty, all the different colors. And that's also going to be it for this week. Um, in this chapter, we didn't get to talk about them, but we have the satyr, the scarecrow, which is always a fun one. Shadow, skeletons even, sphinxes are really fun. Um, I have to get an honorable, honorable mention to sprites because I just love Feywild. Um, Sturges are the bane of my existence because they are the worst thing to fight ever. If you hate your players, look up Sturges and they will also hate you. But we're going to leave the episode there. 
if you have any monsters I did not cover this week that you want me to go back to, let me know. Like I said, there's a bunch in this chapter. If there's a monster in an upcoming letter you'd like me to cover, give me a shout out and I'll see if I can get that one snuck in. And until then, I will see you next time. Hello, Bob Spuds here on the scene once again reporting for Potato Candy Network. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing on your podcasting app of choice. If you have a scenario prompt you want us to use, send it to us on social networking with Instagram and Facebook at Potato Candy Network. And if you really liked us, consider supporting us on Patreon for bonus content monthly, such as behind-the-scenes sneak peeks, inspirations, and future episode previews. Check out our brother show, Dreadful Tales, for some taut tension full truly terrifying tales of terror. <laughs> Got that on the first try, you know. And finally, please leave us a review, as it helps your recommendations and helps others find the hard work we do here at Potato Candy Network. Oh, and friendly reminder, if someone asks you if you're a god, don't think of marshmallows. <laughs> Nobody likes that guy.